Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please go and, and talk to Aaron after the service, get more information about that. It's really incredible just watching the video and the testimonies, um, what she's done there. I mean, it, it really is. I've been on the field myself and you guys know that and doing things like what she's doing is not, it's not easy. And um, anyway, it's very, it's awesome to see that. Thank you, Aaron. Well, good morning. This morning, I'm gonna be speaking out of Ephesians chapter three. Um, so you can go ahead and, and open your Bibles to that. My family and I, well, some of my family, we just returned from a trip to the Middle East on Wednesday, actually. Uh, we are in the process of rebuilding a team in order to go back, and we are planning on going back in January. And um, it, was a, it was a good trip. It was a very fruitful trip, a time where we were able to uh, make plans for when we land in January. And so thank you for your prayers. I know many of you were praying for us and agreeing with us in that, and so we really appreciate that. Um, I'm sure we'll share more over the next few months. I'll still be here until December. You'll probably hear from me another time or two. And we'd love to share more about that as well um, in its time. Well, this morning, I want us to, uh, I'm gonna be looking at Ephesians chapter three, verse seven through 12. And uh, what we're gonna do, I'm gonna read this and then we'll jump in. Uh, and then towards the end of the service, I would also, we're also gonna have a time of prayer for Afghanistan. And many of you are aware of what's going on there. And so as we get there, I'll lead us in that time. Ephesians chapter three, verse seven says this. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that, or because of this, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places." This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for the gospel. Lord, we thank you that this message has given us life, life today and life for eternity. Lord, we thank you that today through the Holy Spirit, we can access your presence. We can come into your presence. We can encounter you. And Lord, more than anything this morning, we ask that your words would speak to us. Lord, that you would open our eyes, that you would allow us to see you. God, we love you. Lord, we pray this morning that you would manifest your presence in our midst. Lord, that you would convict us of sin, of righteousness, and show us the one who is coming into the world. Lord, we want our eyes to be open. So we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, as we look at this passage, or before we look at this passage, one of the things that I like to do, especially with uh, the epistles, is I like to understand the context of the book that I'm reading or the passage that I'm reading. And so, in order to do that, I just want to talk briefly about the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is a city that is in modern-day Turkey. It's on the west coast of Turkey. And 
the whole western coast of Turkey is actually the ancient Asia Minor. And so anytime you see Asia Minor in the New Testament, the area that Paul or whoever is talking about is that western coast of Turkey. And Ephesus is an interesting, uh, an interesting place for a few reasons. First is Ephesus stood out in the Roman world. In the Roman world, Ephesus was an economic hub. It was a cultural hub. It was a place that was desired to go to. People who lived in Asia Minor, in that region, they wanted to go to Ephesus. They wanted to vacation in Ephesus. I, I often compare it to like Southern California or Florida. It was a desired place to be. It's on the coast. It was probably really nice. It was a city. It had probably about 200, 250,000 people, which is small today. I get it. But 2,000 years ago, that was large. That was a large city. Um, it was prior to Constantinople, probably the biggest city in that region. But it also had a religious dynamic. The city of Ephesus, we know, is the home of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the goddess Diana. And the goddess Diana or the Greek goddess, uh, excuse me, the goddess Artemis and the Greek goddess Diana was there in Ephesus as well. So it was a very religious city and most of the people there were devoted to this goddess Artemis. And um, it's interesting to see, if you look at Acts chapter 19, you get a picture of how devoted they were to this goddess because in Acts 19, there's this, there's this guy, Demetrius, and he's in the market, and Demetrius actually gets upset because he hears that there's this, this man named Paul who's preaching about some guy named Jesus, and people are turning their back from Artemis and not buying his little statues of Artemis, and instead they're following Jesus. And so this guy, Demetrius, gets upset, and in Acts 19, a riot actually breaks out in the market there because of, of how upset he got during that moment. But it's also, we see that what happened is, is the largest, one of the largest revivals in church history. It says in Acts 19, 19, that the move of the gospel was so strong. It says that the, the ones who were devoted to this religion, they went into the public square and they burnt their religious books. And it said the amount of which that was worth totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. One piece of silver, let's say, this is a guess um, that most scholars guess. Let's say one piece of silver is worth $20. That's a million dollars worth of books. And they're in the city of Ephesus and they go into the center and they burn these books in front of everyone. They were touched by the gospel in such a way that they took all of these old religious books and burned them in front of everyone. In a place like Los Angeles, in a place like Miami in this hub, in this central city. That's what the city of Ephesus was like. But then when we move to the book of Ephesians, we also see a little bit of a complex letter that Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. And what he's doing, the character of this letter is a little bit different. He's not necessarily writing to correct the church in Ephesus. We see that a lot when he writes to the Corinthians or other letters. He's not necessarily writing to correct them or to rebuke them, but instead there's more of a tone of uh, praise or a tone of adoration. It's more about the knowledge of God. And in fact, when I read the book of Ephesians, I like to break it down in three simple ways. And I'm just gonna give this to you so you can have and think about. There's a lot of ways that you could break down this book, but I'm gonna show you just three points of a way you can break it down. The first two chapters mostly are about theology. 
Theology means the knowledge of God. In the first two chapters, you mostly see what God has done for us. It's not really about you. It's what he has done for you. And it's about who he is. In the third chapter, you see that Paul mostly is talking about what we say missiology or the mission of the church. And that's where we're gonna focus this morning. He talks about the, the mission of the church and what he's called us to do as the church. And then in chapters four, five, and six, he talks about the nature of the church, how the church should be, okay? And that we know is the family of God. That's where he talks about the family of God, that Christ is the head and different things like that. And that's a simple outline for you when you come to the book of Ephesians, okay? As you're reading it, remember in your head where you are. I mean, there's many other ways to break it down, but this is a basic way. Paul is building the mission of the church and the nature of the church upon who God is, which are chapters one and two, okay? So these points of context, I think, help us as we look at this passage and as we look at the book of Ephesians. Are you guys with me? Amen, great. So now when we come to Ephesians chapter three, when I read Ephesians, what I would say is that Paul is a little bit difficult to understand. The book of Ephesians is like the book of Romans on steroids. It's like what he took tons of words to explain in Romans. He, for some reason, compiles it into six short chapters in the book of Ephesians with a lot of run-on sentences. That's the book of Ephesians. And here in verse 11, he says that, what he's explaining in this passage is the eternal purpose of God. Now that's a pretty important statement. Verse 11, he says, this was according to the eternal purpose of God that was realized in Christ Jesus. And when I read that, when I get to that point, it makes me think, okay, what did he just explain that is the eternal purpose of God? If he's saying that this is the eternal purpose of God, I want to know what is the eternal purpose of God. And that's where our focus is going to be this morning. The way that I want to do this, I'm going to break this down in six different points, okay? And they're going to be on the screen and you can write them down if you like. But these six different points are going to take the passages that we just read in reverse order. I know, it's so complicated, Paul. Why? It's like he writes this and it's supposed to make sense, but in order for it to make sense, we gotta read it backwards. Okay, so we're gonna take it in reverse order because it does make more sense that way. And I'll break it down in six points doing that. So the first one, in verse 10, Paul says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The intention of God. The intention of God for creation is to make known the manifold wisdom of God. Paul says that his desire, God's desire, the reason everything exists is to make known the manifold wisdom of God. That is the gospel. That is Jesus. That is Christ crucified, raised from the dead, ascended to the heights of the heavens. God's intention is for him, for Jesus to be made known. Now, then the second thing that he says is who is that gonna be made known to? Again, in verse 10, he says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to whom? The rulers and authorities in the heavenly places or the powers and the principalities in the heavenly places. So the audience that this message, the gospel, is being made known to 
are the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, I live overseas. I share the gospel a lot. And most of us, if you're anything like me, usually when we share the gospel, we're thinking, okay, how can I explain this better for this person? Or how can I convince this person that this is something that's true? But here, Paul's saying that when you're sharing the gospel, you're not necessarily talking to that person who's directly in front of you. The audience is something beyond that person. The audience are the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, is what Paul's saying. The audience are the powers and the principalities in the heavenly realm. Because in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul explains why the gods of this world are holding captive the minds of unbelievers. The gods of this world have blinded their eyes, is what he says, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. So when we speak the gospel, again, my temptation always is to debate with people, but God has shown me clearly that's the worst possible way usually, because who I'm talking to is not you. It's not you. It's not you. It's the powers and the principalities. Because when we speak, something shifts and those powers and those principalities are loosed so that that person can now make a choice to believe. I remember this one story when we were overseas. I was sitting with, with seven other uh, Muslim brothers, not Christians, Muslims, and we're just talking. These seven guys, they've known each other their whole lives. They're getting ready to begin university, and I just met most of them, I think, a few weeks prior to that. And, and as we're talking, you know, they're just sharing and, and whatever, and, and I'm thinking, I really want to share the gospel with them right now. Okay, I really want to share the share. I want to preach. I want to share something, but I've done it enough times to know the more the if I butt my way into this conversation or force it in there, it's just not going to work. So I just take a step back and I'm thinking, Lord, open up a door, an opportunity for me to share with these guys. And shortly after that, they direct the questions at me and the conversation at me, and they ask me about my life. Now they already know that I'm a Christian. If you're American you're a Christian in their eyes, unfortunately. I mean, I guess, I don't know, whatever. But if you're American, you're a Christian. If you're in the Middle East and you're an American, they look at you as Christian. And so they assume that we're all Christian. And, and so they already know that. And they ask about my story. They ask about my life. And whenever that happens, I start the conversation by telling them I was not born a Christian. Because in their culture and in their paradigm, you're born into a religion because you were born in America, you were born a Christian because they were born in Iran or Afghanistan or wherever, they're Muslim, okay? So I start the conversation by saying, I was not born a Christian. And the moment I say that, every single time, without fail, it's like a jaw drop. It like jogs them for a second. What? You weren't born a Christian. And then it opens up an opportunity for me to talk about Jesus. And in this moment specifically, I started sharing my testimony with them. And I started, I started sharing about the way that God had changed my life. And it started by just sharing for them. But what I realized was as I continued to share, as I continued to share my story about how God changed my life, about how I was on a way to destruction, and Tom knows that very well, I was smoking, doing drugs, all the stuff you're not supposed to be doing. And God showed up. And as I shared that testimony, I started to realize I'm not even talking to these seven guys anymore. 
I don't even know that they're in front of me. It's like I just entered into a prayer meeting and now I am overjoyed because I'm remembering everything God's done in my life. And I'm moved because I'm remembering everything and the ways that he has changed my life. It's Psalm 45. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. I'm reciting my verses. I'm exalting Jesus in that moment. It's so absurd because I'm sitting there. It's like out in the middle of a tea shop. We're drinking tea and I'm just getting touched by my own story in the middle of a Muslim country. When you do that, and when you enter into that place in speaking the gospel, you know who starts to tremble? Powers and principalities start to tremble. They shake because their grip is being loosened. And then people, those who are hearing that message, have an opportunity to believe. So the audience to which this message is spoken is primarily the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, the powers and the principalities. The third thing that Paul said is the means with which God wants to do this. This is again in verse 10. He says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So his intention is to make known the manifold wisdom of God to whom, to the powers, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms through what, what, what means through the church. God set it up so that through the church, despite how broken, despite how weak we may be, somewhat disunified, somewhat uh, sinful at times, despite all of those things, God says, through that broken church, I'm gonna make these things known to the world, to the powers and to the principalities. John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, just before he dies, he prays, and says, Father, I ask that they would be in me as I am in you, and that we would be one. So the world would know that I came from you. That's Jesus's high priestly prayer. He did not have to do it this way. God's all powerful. He could have in a moment revealed himself in whatever way he chose. But because he desires relationship with us, because he desires that partnership with us. He chose to do this through his church. Through his church, he's gonna make known the manifold wisdom of God to the powers and principalities. Fourth, Paul says that in verse eight, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So he's gonna use his church, but prior to using, his, using the church, he is going to establish the church by revealing to them the unsearchable riches of Christ. The church comes from this Sunday morning gathering or whatever day of the week or whatever prayer meeting and goes into the world shining light. Why? Because the church believers, you, me, him, her, we've encountered the unsearchable riches of Christ. I think about the moment that I was sitting with these seven Muslim brothers. I'm sitting there talking to them. And what I'm realizing is that these are the unsearchable riches. These are the unsearchable riches. And as I'm speaking, it's coming from that place of encounter. Because when I pray, 
Most of the times I pray, it's dull, just to be honest. When I pray, despite how dull it is, God can encounter us and God can give life to us when we pray. And God does give life to us. And from that place, when we leave that room, that upper room or that sanctuary or that place of encounter, God shows the world the unsearchable riches of Christ. And he goes on in verse eight as well and says, Again, I'm gonna read it. To me, though, I'm the very least of all the saints. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. To preach. So his intention is to make known the manifold wisdom of God to whom? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, through whom? Through the church. How does he establish the church? Through the unsearchable riches of God. And in what way does the church then do that? Through preaching to preach to the Gentiles. Preaching, I think, is something that could potentially be frowned upon in a lot of communities and in today's world. I think that preaching is difficult. I think that sometimes when you preach, it's not very welcomed. And preaching, when I say that, I don't mean that you have to yell. Sometimes I yell, I'm sorry. I don't mean that you have to yell. I mean, it doesn't mean you have to have a platform. I mean, wherever you are and whoever's in front of you, when you share the gospel, that is preaching. And Paul is saying here, for this message to go forth, it requires us to open our mouth. It requires us to open our mouth. Do we live justly? Yes. Do we pray and hope the world would see Jesus through our lives? Yes, always. But we also have to open our mouth and we have to share. We have to speak. Not for them, primarily, but because when the powers and the principalities, when they start to hear those words, when they start to hear the message, their grip begins to loosen. So we have to open our mouth and preach. Maybe you don't have a platform, you don't need a platform. Whoever's in front of you, you preach. And then finally says, to me, Paul says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, God does this, through broken vessels. He chooses a broken, weak vessel. Paul, who was previously Saul, persecuting Christians, God throws him on the ground, encounters him, reveals himself to him, and says, I've called you to preach. And Paul is completely changed in that moment. He uses broken vessels. So we started very grand, right? We talked about the intention Uh, The intention of God for creation, the first thing, the intention of God for creation is to make known the manifold wisdom of God. And then the second thing, to whom is he making that known? To the powers and the principalities, to the rulers and the authorities. How is he gonna do that? He's gonna do that through the church. And in what ways is the church established? Through the unsearchable riches of God, through encountering God. And then the church goes and they preach the message. They speak, they open their mouths. And then finally, last, he does it through this one vessel. Now, I like this passage because when I think about this passage, it's very grand. Verse 11 says, this is the eternal purpose of God. It's very grand, but Paul works his way down. Well, if you look at it in reverse order, he works his way down from this grand scope 
to a single individual vessel. And today we're living in a time where, especially my generation, we are so focused on ourselves. We are very focused on our calling or our purpose in life. Believers, unbelievers, everyone. We're focused on not missing that purpose in life, not missing that calling in life. And I think that sometimes when we are so focused on not missing that, what happens is we become self-centered in our lives. We start to navel gaze because we're so focused on me, 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 and not, not missing something that God has for me, which is true. These are very important things. I'm not denying that. Where in actuality, God is saying, what is the etern- my eternal purpose for you? My eternal purpose is to make known the manifold wisdom of God. Do you want to know what your calling is? Our calling is right here. It's simple. It doesn't necessarily, or maybe you're not told to go left or to right, to go right. Maybe you don't have an encounter or a vision, but God is saying that our calling is to be vessels, that we would speak the manifold wisdom of God the gospel, but we can become so distracted with us. We can be so caught up that instead of thinking of the eternal purpose of God, we put ourselves on top of that. And we put a more importance on us as opposed to the internal purpose of God. When in reality, we are supposed to be underneath that. And we are supposed to be interpreting our lives through his eternal purpose. Now, we mentioned Afghanistan earlier, and we we're going to take a time of prayer later and uh, before ministry time for Afghanistan. But I've been thinking about Afghanistan a lot this week. A week ago today is when the Taliban took over Kabul. And that's a very sobering moment. 20 years they haven't, and now they've taken over Kabul. And there are many people whose lives are in danger, but the most of all are the Christians. And from what I know, Afghanistan is the, has the second largest underground church movement. The second largest underground church movement. And some of those Christians were somewhat protected because the Taliban's force was at bay. And today, that's a very different life that they're now living. Literally overnight. And you've all seen it in the news. The U.S. government said it was overnight. No one could have predicted it happening that fast. Christians who are in Afghanistan today, overnight, their lives changed, and now literally, they could die. Not an exaggeration, not some sort of ethereal sacrifice. They may die. They may lose their life tomorrow. They may lose their life the next day or the next month. And I think about them, I've been thinking about them because of this passage. I have a feeling that believers in Afghanistan aren't very concerned about what their calling is right now. I have a feeling that they're not so concerned about me, 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 but they're actually thinking of who is God? I need him right now to give me strength, to give me perseverance, right? Today, we have a luxury in the West. We have a luxury where some of these things are out of sight and out of mind. But the problem is that luxury and that comfort sometimes can prohibit us from living the way that the gospel has called us to live, from taking up our cross 
The believers in Afghanistan, they had somewhat of that peace two weeks ago. Today, they don't. And I promise you, they're not so concerned about their purpose in life at the moment. You know what they're concerned about? They're concerned whether they're gonna have the strength and the perseverance to remain in the faith. And they're concerned about whether they're gonna be alive tomorrow. And my plea this morning, the thing that I've been stirred with all week is that we also would be able to carry them in our hearts. But more than that, we would be able to have a piece of their faith to live in the same way, despite the luxury and the comfort that we may have in the West, that we could live in that way, that we could be Christians, that we could be carriers of the name of Christ, the one who laid everything down. This morning, before we enter into a time of prayer, we're gonna go into a time of corporate prayer prior to ministry. And the way I wanna do that, it's a prayer that I find in, uh, that we find in 2 Thessalonians 2, or 2 Thessalonians 3, excuse me. Paul says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified and that we would be delivered from wicked and unreasonable men. You know, I've thought, about, I've thought about Afghanistan and the question I've asked, it's like, is this, was this your will, God? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I don't think God desires that people suffer. Definitely not. That is not God's will. But was this supposed to happen? And as I think about it, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if this was supposed to happen. And I'm not gonna try to figure that answer out. Of course, God does not desire that people suffer. But is this supposed to happen? I don't know. But today we are where we are and we have to pray. This will change the landscape of the Middle East for the future. And the ways that we pray is like what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians. Pray, not just that we would be delivered, but first, he says, pray that the word of the Lord would run swiftly. Second, pray that we would be delivered from wicked and unreasonable men. And then the third thing that I'm gonna add on there is let's pray for believers that they would have perseverance, that they would be able to stand in the face of that challenging moment. Pray that they would have perseverance in their faith. I'm gonna invite Austin up here as we go into this time. I realize that most of us, we can't relate and as we pray, maybe the best way to start is to ask God for his heart. Again, this is at least the third, if not the second fastest growing underground church movement. Iran is the largest at the moment. But it's so distant from our lives here that I don't know if we can relate. And I think we need to ask God for his heart for these people that are in this place of suffering, of persecution, literal persecution. And then from there, we will be able to engage in prayer. Why don't we stand as we enter into this time and I'm gonna lead us in prayer and we're gonna pray for those three things. Praying that the word of the Lord would run swiftly, praying that God would deliver believers from wicked and unreasonable men and praying that God would give those believers perseverance to stand, to be faithful. And the way I want us to do it, I want us to enter into a chorus of prayer. 
You don't have to, you don't have to yell, you don't have to scream, but we, I want us to open our mouths and pray together as you feel comfortable and as you feel able. And after we do that for a few minutes, I'll transition us into a time of ministry. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray right now that you would come. Lord, we wanna feel your heart for Afghanistan right now, for the believers in Afghanistan. Lord, right now we pray this prayer that Paul prayed for Afghanistan, for the underground church in Afghanistan. God, we pray first and foremost that the word of the Lord would run swiftly and be glorified in the face of threats from the Taliban. God, we ask, that the gospel message would run swiftly with unction in the land of Afghanistan. Lord, that you would anoint the believers there who are speaking this message, who are preaching this message. You would anoint them. Lord, just like it was when Paul was in Ephesus, when he was preaching and those who were given to the goddess Artemis turned from that wicked way and followed you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that the gospel would run forth in the same way in Afghanistan. Lord, we pray that you would deliver the believers from wicked and unreasonable men. You would deliver them from the ones who are threatening to take their lives. God, I'm asking that you would set them free. You would create ways of escape for them. Lord, we pray today for perseverance. We pray that you would give them strength as they stay true to the gospel and to the faith. God, we ask, would you give them perseverance as they face these threats? Instead of growing hopeless, would they remember the hope that they have in Jesus? Would they remember the hope that they have in the resurrection? Lord, that this life is an eternal life, that they will be reunited with you and be with you. Let's continue to pray just for a couple more minutes. Come Holy Spirit, strengthen the believers today in Afghanistan. 